Let me share with you a profound observation. Your destination is determined by your direction, not your desire. Now, so for instance, you cannot drive south from Guyman and expect to arrive in New York City. Now, this is true no matter how much you desire to arrive in New York City. You can't drive north from Guyman and expect to arrive in San Antonio. This is true no matter how much you want to go to San Antonio. Your destination is determined by your direction, not your desire. Now, what's true for earthly destinations is also true for eternal destinations. But your eternal destination is determined by your direction, not your desire. But you can't take the wrong road in life and end up in heaven. Everyone who even remotely believes in an afterlife wants to go to heaven. They want to go to the good place if there is one. But that desire, if not backed up with a direction that leads there, will not get them there. Direction, not desire, determines our destination. So what can we do to ensure that heaven will be our destination? To ensure we're walking the right direction that will lead us to heaven ultimately. The passage we want to study this morning gives us an answer to that. Open your Bible to Matthew 7, verse 13 and 14 is what we're going to look at. Should be on page 738 in your pew Bible. When you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Jesus says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. title of the message this morning is The Narrow Way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love You. You are great and awesome. You are worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. We come this morning and we bow in Your presence with a desire to learn. A desire for Your Spirit and Your Word to work together in our life to To show us anything that's not as it should be. Father, we all want to go to heaven. We all want that to be our ultimate eternal destination. But we know that just because we want to go to heaven doesn't mean we are going to heaven. Father, there is a direction of life that must be lived. Heaven is to be our ultimate home. Today as we look at the words of Jesus... Let your Holy Spirit take this and make it living and active in us. Let the Word be like a mirror that shows us who we are. That we would see clearly, Lord, what path of life we're on and where the ultimate end of this path is taking us. God, if the path we're on, it's not the path of life. You make that very clear to us this morning. Let us not leave here deceived. Let us not leave here complacent. Let us not leave here with any doubts at all about the direction of life we are on and what we need to do to be sure we're on the path of life. 
Fill me today with your Holy Spirit and give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech. Help me to be able to speak your words and your ways for your glory. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, while Jesus is primarily talking to his disciples, we know from verse 28 and 29 where it says, And so it was when Jesus ended his sayings that the people were astonished at his teachings. So his disciples were the primary audience he was speaking to, but the the crowd, the people were there listening. Now, this crowd was probably almost entirely Jewish. And so they assumed that they were a part of the kingdom of God. And they would share all that belongs to God, such as heaven, simply because they were Jewish. Right? There was a, a sense in what Jews believed in what we might call a national salvation. Just by virtue of being a Jew, it had secured their salvation and their place in the kingdom of God. Now, before Jesus came, John the Baptist began to preach and he challenged that assumption. He challenged that assumption by telling them things like, don't say that because we're children of Abraham, for I say unto you that God can raise up children of Abraham from these stones. Right? He began to say it's not enough to just be a Jew to be a part of the kingdom of God. You must repent and believe on the Messiah that is to come. And Jesus, he continued to challenge this thought all throughout his ministry. And that's a part of what we're seeing here. But as we look at this, we have to be honest to know that Jesus' teaching doesn't merely challenge the Jewish notion of automatic salvation, but it challenges everyone's assumption about automatic salvation. Right? While we aren't Jews, many people in our day still harbor false assumptions about a sort of automatic salvation. Now, while few would say it's because of their Jewishness, we do tend to base it on false ideas. Lots of people have been baptized and will tell you they're going to heaven because they've been baptized. Now, they don't really believe in Jesus and they don't really live for Jesus. They've never lived for Jesus. But they were baptized. They were dunked in the water. They're good. Some people will point to their good morals. Well, I don't really believe in Jesus, but I'm a good moral person. I'm a good husband. I'm a good wife. I I, I was good to my children. I'm a good employee. I'm generous in my community. I help other people out. My good morals are enough. Church membership. Pretty much every church in America has a membership role filled with people. Have not attended their church in years. They don't darken the door. They don't care about the church or about Jesus or living for Him. But they'll say, I'm a member of that church down the street, so I'm going to heaven. Some attend church occasionally. And because of their occasional attendance to church, their their nod of the head to God, they assume they're going to heaven. I'm, I'm a good person. I mean, I don't like to get carried away with the Jesus stuff, but I go to church once or twice a month maybe. Some will point to their family lineage. Well, mom and dad, you should, if you'd have known my mom and dad, man, they were committed to Jesus. They, they read their Bibles every day. They prayed for us all the time. I, yeah, I'm going to heaven. It's mom and dad. Or being American. I talked to a guy once and asked him if he was a Christian. His answer was, I'm an American, aren't I? He believed by virtue of being born in America, he was automatically 
going to heaven. Now, sadly, most people assume they are going to heaven. One of the most common lies that people believe in our culture is that everyone's default eternal destination is heaven. And you have to do something really, really bad along the lines of a Hitler or a Stalin or a Bin Laden to miss heaven. Jesus says that is simply not the case. Heaven is not the automatic destination for anyone. Instead, one arrives at life by walking through the narrow way, the narrow gate, and then walking on the narrow way. So to arrive in heaven, we have to go through the right gate and then we have to walk on the right path. In other words, our destination is determined by our direction. Direction, not desire, determines my destination. As I said, everyone who even remotely believes in an afterlife wants to go to the good place, whatever that may be. And even those who don't believe in an afterlife would probably say if there is a good place, if there is life after death and one place is good and the other is bad, I want to go to the good place. But desire alone does not determine our destination. Desire alone does not determine our destination as we travel life just in general here. And desire alone does not determine our ultimate destination For heaven or hell. Those who go through the wide gate and walk on the broad way, they are on the path that leads to destruction. And that's true, no matter how much they want that path to lead to heaven. That desire does not put them on the path to heaven. There has to be a a change. In their minds. A change in their lives. Before they'll get there. Now the picture Jesus paints of a broad and a narrow way. The broad and narrow gate. I don't think necessarily as people standing at a crossroads. And there's the way of life here and the way of death there. And they're looking intently and trying to make a choice. I thought a lot of we think of it like this. I have this picture hanging in my wall. In my office. And I like it. But I don't think it's entirely accurate right? for a couple of reasons. One, this kind of pictures it being a once for all decision. Right? As you can see, those people outside the gates, once they go in, there's really not a way to go the other way. I don't think that's how it is. I don't believe that that people who choose to go on the broad way never again have an opportunity to get onto the narrow way. Right? I'm convinced that those walking on the broad way to destruction are constantly given opportunities to change their direction, to go through the narrow gate and walk on the narrow way. And also I think there's an, a, a picture in this that until you make a decision, you're neutral. And that's clearly not what Scripture teaches. The Bible pictures humanity really already on the broad way, headed toward destruction. And they have to make an intentional decision 
to get off that path and onto the narrow way. And the way I see it is that naturally all people walk the broad way. And as they walk the broad way to destruction, there is a gate off to the side. Sometimes they may not be aware of it. Sometimes they may not be thinking of it, but at other times it's brought to their attention. Maybe someone invites them to church and they come and hear a gospel presentation. Maybe someone talks to them about their need for Jesus. Maybe they grew up in church and they heard teaching and it comes to their mind and they remember things that they learned. And the gate becomes more aware and they can see it and they're drawn to it. And in that moment they have to make a decision. What will they do? Will they reject that gate that's there, the opening and the opportunity, and keep on their current path? Or will they make an intentional change and go through the broad gate and walk in the narrow way? And that's really the decision that we all have to make on our own. And we make the decision through repentance and faith. Right? We, we repent of our sins and we believe in Jesus Christ. And so picture it like this. We're walking along the Broadway, happily moving toward destruction. We're largely unaware that there is even any real danger or there's another way of life that we could currently be traveling. Then someone shares the gospel. Holy Spirit takes it and applies it to our heart and we see our need to go through that gate and be saved. So what we have to do is we have to make that intentional decision. I believe that's the way. And so I'm going to turn from the path I'm on and I'm going to walk through that believing that is the path to life. Or I'm going to stay here. And I'm going to keep walking on the broad way and heading toward destruction. We make a decision. We always choose. The question is, what choice will we make? And those two decisions, go through the narrow gate to life or stay on the broad path to death, those are the only two decisions there are. There's not a neutrality option. There's not a later option. There is go or stay. That's, that's it. We make a decision for life or death every time God begins to deal with us about our need for salvation. So what do we do if we want to go through the narrow gate? And then walk on the narrow way that leads to life. Two actions we have to take. One, we, we must believe on Jesus. Jesus says that we must enter by the narrow gate. Now why is the gate that leads to life narrow? It's narrow because it can only be entered through faith in Jesus. One of the key doctrines of Christianity is that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And Christians affirm this doctrine because that's what Jesus himself taught. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, there are a lot of other places where Jesus makes these sort of statements, but this is probably the most fierce, the most clear. He is certainly saying he is the only path to life or to God. 
Jesus is stating under no uncertain terms that He and He alone gives us access to God and all that God offers, including salvation, heaven, and life. According to Jesus, there is no salvation apart from Him. There is no eternal life apart from Him. There is no forgiveness of sins apart from Him. No one makes it to heaven apart from Him. So Jesus says that about Himself. So as believers in Jesus Christ, we affirm that doctrine. We say, yes, this is true. Because that's what Jesus our Lord has said. Now, in our day, this is usually called a a narrow-minded way to think. And if we're real concerned what other people say about us, we'll try to to weaken it or water it down so that we don't sound narrow-minded. But the more I've thought about it, I'm okay with being considered narrow-minded about this. Because the reality is truth is narrow. Truth is always narrow. I was going to ask Gerald this, but it's too. Gerald's a math teacher. So I'm just going to ask everybody else. Gerald, you can't answer this question. Okay? Two plus two equals what? Four. Now, how many correct answers are there to that question? Just one, isn't there? There's just the one. It doesn't matter if you really feel that two plus two equals six. That's the wrong answer. It doesn't matter if your Uncle Fred believes that 2 plus 2 equals 6. That's the wrong answer. It doesn't matter if someone who knows that 5 plus 5 is 10 thinks 2 plus 2 is 6. That's still the wrong answer. It doesn't matter if believing 2 plus 2 is 6 makes you feel good way down deep in your soul. It is still the wrong answer. It doesn't matter if being told that 2 plus 2 is 6 is wrong hurts your feelings. It's still the wrong answer. There is only one correct answer to 2 plus 2, and that answer is 4. In the same way, Jesus is the only correct gate that leads to eternal life. Every other gate is wrong. Allah is not the gate. Buddha is not the gate. Mormonism is not the gate. Jehovah's Witness is not the gate. Good morals is not the gate. Being nice is not the gate. Being a Democrat is not the gate. Being a Republican is not the gate. Being an American is not the gate. Jesus and Jesus alone is the gate that leads to life. Every other gate is eternally, soul-destroying, and damningly wrong. No matter how we feel. No matter who we know that believes in another gate. No matter how strongly they feel about it. How good that other gate makes them feel about life and themselves. And no matter how much we love them and want them to be heading toward heaven. If they have not chosen the gate of Jesus, they have chosen the gate to death. Jesus is the only gate that leads to life. But there's more good news with this. 
I think that Jesus is the only way is good news. But there's more good news. And that is that God wants all people to enter this gate and find life. I mean, that's why Jesus came. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Not for God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. God's absolute desire is that every person would choose the gate of Jesus. And that they would be saved. But, it is our choice. I mean, that's, that's such a key thing. And it's, it's our choice as individuals. It is, no one can make that choice for you. And no one can make that choice for me. We have to make it on our own. And it's also, it's an intentional decision. Have you ever, one way that the, the picture of in life and driving down the road varies, is that have you ever taken the wrong road but through a series of circumstances still ended up in the right destination? I have. It doesn't work that way with eternity. We must intentionally choose Jesus if we want to choose Jesus. Right? I mean, it is it, because we are already on the wrong path. And we have to make a, a, a willful, intentional choice to turn directions, to believe that this is the way, and then walk through the gate of Jesus and go to Him. The words of Jesus, they always call for a response, a decision, a verdict from those who hear them. Will I obey Him or will I disobey Him? Those are the choices. Will I take up my cross and deny myself or will I live for myself and do my own thing? Those are the choices. Will I walk through the narrow gate and walk on the narrow way or will I stay on the broad way that leads to destruction. Those are my choices. Only those who intentionally go to Jesus. Will be saved. Will go to heaven. Will find life. And this is true. No matter how badly. You desire. Life. Heaven. And God. For direction. Not desire. Determines. Destination. I must believe on Jesus if I want heaven to be my destination. I must believe on Jesus and then I must live for Jesus. Not only must we go through the narrow gate, but then we must walk on the, the difficult or the narrow way. Now, we have to go through the gate first. To get to the narrow way. We have to go through Jesus. So that we can live for Jesus. Right? I can't live for Jesus. Apart from faith in Jesus. Right? So no one who, who doesn't believe as Jesus as Savior and Lord. None of them are on the narrow way. Now that doesn't mean that unbelievers. Or people walking on the broad way. There aren't good moral people. Or they're not good husbands, or they're not good wives, they're not faithful, diligent, honest, caring, generous. 
Many, many unbelievers are those things. But exhibiting those good character qualities does not believe that they are on the narrow path to heaven. One can only walk the narrow path to heaven after they have believed in Jesus Christ. Everything rises and falls on faith in Jesus. But once we believe in Jesus, once we go through the narrow gate, we must then walk on the narrow path. Those who have genuinely believed in Jesus, they will live for Jesus. Those who go through the narrow gate will walk in the narrow way. Now Jesus says that this way is difficult. And I've thought about that. And I've heard people say that this is problematic because Jesus says that His burden is easy and His yoke is light. And I've heard other people say that Being a Christian is really so very easy. And I often wonder, those people have ever even read the Bible. I mean, even in just what we have covered in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has told us to do things that are difficult, hasn't He? Turn the other cheek. Not to have the worldly things as our treasure. I don't know about you, but those are not necessarily easy things for me to do. To love those who hate me. To pray for those who despitefully use me. Take up my cross. Deny myself. All of those are hard things. Living for Jesus is difficult. So I like the way that it words it here in the New King James. It is difficult. Because it is difficult. If it was easy, it would be the broad way that had many people on it. I think there are a couple of reasons But the narrow way is difficult. One is that the narrow way leads us away from our natural desires. The narrow way leads us away from our natural desires. In Ephesians 2, it says that we all naturally follow the passions and desires of our bodies and our minds. And apart from Jesus, people naturally, easily, and constantly follow The desires of their sinful nature. They do whatever naturally comes to them. Whatever they want to do. In fact, Scripture says that apart from Jesus, we are slaves to our sinful nature. But once we come to Jesus, things change. The Holy Spirit comes to live within us. And He makes it possible for us to resist the desires of our sinful nature. Because of the Holy Spirit living within us, Paul would say in Romans 8 that we have no obligation to do what our sinful nature desires. Now, Scripture teaches that the struggle is is always there, though. That the flesh, the sinful nature, it always struggles against the Spirit of God within us, trying to pull us. So, within us, there is like a, a tug of war. Our sinful nature pulling us one way. You really want to do this. This is more fun. This is easier. This is what you'd like to do. Then there's the Holy Spirit saying, no, don't go that way. Go this way. Do what Jesus wants you to do. Go the way Jesus is going. Don't follow your sinful nature. But as believers, since the Holy Spirit is within us, we have the ability to resist the flesh and to follow the Spirit always. Scripture says that we we have crucified the flesh with its passions And desires. 
It is understood in Scripture that those who genuinely believed in Jesus, they have left the broad way and that they do resist their sinful nature. They are on a highway that causes them to depart from evil. I like this verse in Proverbs. The highway of the upright is to depart from evil. I mean, that's a, that's a good picture, isn't it? If I am upright, if I am righteous, if I am saved, then the road I'm walking on leads me to depart from evil. So what does it say about me if the highway I'm on is consistently taking me to sin? If it's consistently leading me to do what God has said not to do? If it is consistently leading me to fulfill the desires of my sinful nature? In that case, am I on the broad way or the narrow way? Am I upright in heart or am I unregenerate? We have to take that into consideration. We have to take these verses and these concepts seriously. Because the way that we live matters. The way that we live testifies about the work of God in our lives. It says whether or not we are truly born again. Now this isn't to say that believers always make the right decisions and never sin. Oh. I wish that was the case. I would love to be able to tell you that was the case. But it's not. Scripture and life bear out that believers at times give in to their sinful nature. Believers do sin. That's the reality. However, believers struggle against their sinful nature. And they struggle against their sinful temptations. Believers do not consistently live a life of sin. If there is no struggle in your heart against the sinful desires of your heart, my friend, you should wonder whether or not you are born again. If there is no struggle against the sinful temptations of your life, there is just a full force running to it, you should wonder... Whether or not you've been born again. If you consistently live a life of sin. You should seriously wonder. What road you're walking on. Are you walking on the road of the upright that departs from evil? Or are you walking on the broad path that leads to death? The narrow way is difficult because it requires us to resist our sinful temptations. It's difficult because it requires us to crucify our flesh with its passions and desires. It's difficult because it requires us to strive and fight for a life of holiness. It's difficult. It's also difficult because the narrow way requires us to live By faith in God. We go to mom and dad's house. There's a stop near the town of Asher, Oklahoma. That for a long time it really threw me when I would stop there. Pull up and we stop and you can go straight, you can go left, you can go right. And everything within me thought we should go left. 
I mean, you, you go left to get to Ada from Asher. The reality is, you have to go right to get to Ada from Asher. And if I go left, I'm going to end up in Shawnee, which is nowhere near Ada. So if I want to get to mom and dad's house, I have to go against the way that seems right to me. I have to go against the way that really I I want to go, I think is the right way. Everything within me says go this way. But if I want to get to mom and dad's, I have to go right. doesn't matter how sincerely I want to get to mom and dad's house. I won't get there by turning left. It doesn't matter how strongly I feel that, that left is the way to mom and dad's house. It's not. I must turn right if I want to get to mom and dad's house at that stop. And there's a spiritual principle in this that ties in to the narrow way being difficult because we live by faith in God. Because there is a way that seems right to a man. But its end is the way of death. This world and all that is in the world pushes back against God and His standard and His way of life. And the way that seems right to man will rarely be the way that is right according to God. Think about how this plays out in in a variety of ways in our culture. The world tells us that premarital sex is no big deal so long as both parties are willing And roughly of the same age. And yet God's ways says that sex outside the bonds of marriage is always wrong. The woman, the world tells us that it's a woman's right to choose. God's way says that all life is precious. That he hates hands that shed innocent blood. The world tells us that materialism and greed are okay. And often... Help us succeed. God's way says that this is covetous. It's nothing more than idolatry. Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Much more could be said. But that's sufficient to show us the way of the world. The way that will often feel right to us is not God's way. In fact, at one point, Jesus said what is esteemed by men or what is often esteemed by men, is an abomination to God. For those who walk the narrow way, the Bible, not the rule of law, not what's commonly accepted in society, not what makes sense to us, not what I want to do, none of those things, only Scripture, is the standard we are called to live by. In any time, the rule of law, It's commonly accepted in society. What makes sense to us or how we feel conflicts with Scripture. We must choose to live by faith and follow Scripture. And that will make the way difficult very, very often. My goal this morning has not been to try to make anyone feel bad. Or to scare anyone. But my goal has been to proclaim the truth about salvation that is as found in Scripture so that we can look at our lives and see where we are and what needs to be done. Everyone wants to go to heaven. 
You wouldn't have got up and came to church this morning if you didn't want to go to heaven. God wants you to go to heaven. But the direction of your life, not the desire of your heart, determines your eternal destination. You must choose to live for Jesus if you want heaven to be your destination. And I think there's two ways that we we all would have to respond. We would have to choose to believe Jesus. right? Because narrow gate, narrow way, that's not our world. It's not our culture. For many, there will be something inside of us that says, I just can't accept that that's right. Surely, it's more broad than that. Surely, it's more open than that. And what we all have to do this morning is choose to just believe Jesus. If you're here today and you have never trusted in Christ as your Savior, the first thing you have to do is believe. Believe that Jesus died for your sins. Believe that Jesus rose on the third day. Believe that He can save you. He will save you. And He will fill you with His Spirit and guide you along the best way for your life. You must choose to believe that. If you are a disciple of Jesus, the world around you is telling you not to believe what Jesus has said. And what you have to do is choose to believe Jesus too. Jesus is right and the whole world be wrong. May God be true and every man a liar. Choose. This is the right way. This is real. This is right. Always and forever. So we choose to believe Jesus. Then we also must reject theological and practical universalism. Universalism is a false teaching that says everyone eventually makes it to heaven. Scripture teaches that is clearly not the case. But universalism comes in two forms. There is the theological universalism that says this is how Scripture means and if you understand it the right way, then you'll find that Jesus meant everybody goes to heaven. He didn't mean He was the only way, just a way. And it twists Scripture and says, that's what the Bible teaches, really. You've always misunderstood everything about it. We have to reject that theological universalism. But more dangerous, I think, is a practical universalism. Practical universalism is often embraced by people who would reject it theologically. Theologically, they know that Jesus is the only way they could answer all the questions about the cross, the resurrection. But practically, they live as though everyone were going to go to heaven. Practically, they live as though good morals are enough. When pressed about someone that they know and care about that does not believe in Jesus, they'll say, well, they're really a good person. I think they're probably going to be okay. Or they're involved in a religion that is not Christianity. And when pressed on it, they'll say, well... They really believe it and it makes them happy. I think they're going to be okay. That is a practical universalism. And what that does is condemn those around us to hell. Without us doing anything to stand in their way. To try to prevent them from heading to destruction. And we must reject it. We have to reject them both. Reject it. It's a theological lie and rejected on a practical level. One of the hardest things for us to do, I think, at times is to believe that those that we love 
those that we care for are truly going to hell. But if they have not believed in Jesus, they are not living for Jesus. We must choose to believe the truth that is uncomfortable over a lie that soothes our conscience. We do no one any favors by acting as though they can be involved in another religion, live a life of sin, live in unbelief, or be moral enough to make it to heaven on their own. All that we do is allow them to comfortably walk the path of destruction and comfortably go to hell while we never confront them about their greatest need, their need of salvation. We must reject theological and practical universalism. I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes, have a time of response. How do you, how do you personally need to respond this morning? Do you need to believe on Jesus for your salvation? Do you need to turn from your sins and turn to Him? Do you need to walk through the narrow way, the narrow gate to get to the narrow way? If you do, do that today. Don't pass this opportunity up. Don't wait till a later, more convenient time. Do it now. Do you need to reject theological or practical universalism? I mean, who do you know that isn't legitimately that has not legitimately walked through the narrow gate through faith in Jesus? Who do you know that isn't legitimately walking on the narrow way living for Jesus? What are you doing about that? Let's pray and respond to the Lord in this time and then we'll pray and close.